Our New Testament scripture this morning comes to us from Paul's correspondence with the Corinthians. Paul is writing to a church that he helped to found and writing as they are dealing with the difficulties of being Christians in the world. Let us listen now to that conversation as it comes to us from selected verses in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Each of us, oh, and by the way, this morning we'll be hearing it from Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message. Each of us now is a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we use to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slay or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If foot said, I'm not elegant like hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body, would that make it so? If ear said, I'm not beautiful like eye, limpid and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from the body? If the body was all an eye, how could it hear? If all an ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where God wanted it. But I also want you to think about how this keeps you, your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each in its proper size and its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you. Or head telling foot, you're fired, your job's been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your body you are concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is, without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had your choice, wouldn't you prefer good digestion? to full-bodied hair. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as the church. Every part depended on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, Every other part enters into the exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's what you are. You must never forget this. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Stories are important. The stories we tell about ourselves, about how the world works, about who we are and who God is, these stories are 
important. There are all sorts of stories that we could tell ourselves about who we are as human beings and who God is. And so when we choose a story to tell, it's important. It's important to tell the stories about our lives in this world in a way that reflects who God is and who we are. And I think that's important to remember as we read the stories from the Scripture that there were always other stories out there. There were always competing narratives out there when the Scriptures were written. They weren't written in a vacuum. They weren't written with nothing else going around them. There were always stories being told about what it meant to be a human being and what it meant to be one who lived a faithful life. And so travel back with me some 2,700 years, and we find ancient Israel in exile in Babylon. They've been conquered, they've been defeated, and they've been taken away into Babylon. And when they get to Babylon, they encounter a story, a story that the Babylonians told about how the world came into being and how they were to be now in this new conquered state. And that story went something like this. You see, for the Babylonians, there were two kinds of people. There was royalty and there was everybody else. There were kings and queens and royalty and everybody else. And the kings and queens were seen to be created in the very image of God. In fact, they were called the children of God, the sons and the daughters of God. But there's a different story about the rest of humanity. And that story went something like this. The gods wanted to rest. You see, if you were a god or a king or a queen, one of the things that you got to do was rest. Take time off. Yet the gods had made this world and this creation and it was taking away all their time to rest. They were getting tired of taking care of the world. And so they said, well, let's make a creature to take care of the world for us. And so they went, and there had been a revolution and a rebellion, and they took the rebellious God, and they killed that God, and they took the blood of that God and mixed it with some of the earth, and they created human beings with the sole job of serving the gods to take care of everything. And so what happens in heaven happens on earth. So there were two kinds of creatures in that story, and there was royalty, and then Everybody else was to be a servant for the royalty. Yeah, they had an image of God in them, but it was that rebellious God who had been exiled. And so the children of Israel are told, this is who you are. You're servants. You're not royalty. And in the midst of that, a poet speaks and tells a different story. That poet imagines the divine court, imagines the divine throne room, and in that poet's story, God, the creator of the universe, looks at all the royalty that were there and says, let's create human beings in our image. 
And God created human beings, male and female, in the image of God. All equally. And that image was given dominion over the fish of the sea and all. So all were created as rulers to reflect God's rule on earth. And you see the difference? In one story, there's good people, high-class people, stars on bars. And in the other, there's no distinction. Everyone is created in the image of God. Every single person is created in the very image of God. There's no distinction. And friends, that story would have been radical. It would have been countercultural. It would have been startling to anybody who heard it because everybody believed that the world was different that there were rulers and servants. And here comes this storyteller saying, no, everybody's created in the image of God. Some 700 years later, Paul is writing to a young Christian congregation in Corinth. And the Corinthians had a similar story that the Babylonians had. You see, they were part of the Roman Empire, and in Rome there was an obsession about status. There was an obsession about being at the proper place, of being in the right status. Now, there were more stairs than the Babylonians had, but in some sense it was the same thing. There were those who were in, and there were those who were out. And those who were out were to serve those who were in. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians and tells a different story. He tells a story about everybody being unique, everybody being different, but our uniqueness and our differences combine together to form one body, the body of Christ. And the eye can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. And the ear can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Paul says that the way God created the world, we all are connected to each other. Status, privilege doesn't matter. In fact, in the way God created the body, sometimes the lower parts are given more honor than the higher parts. And Paul says in God's world, we're all knit together. To become one body, unique and different, but also held together to be a part of the body. And just as startling and amazing as that creation story was, Paul's letter to the Corinthians would have shocked them to their core. Because it challenged everything they believed about who people were. And about status and privilege and all the distinctions that they had made between themselves. Like those with stars and those without stars. Traveled some almost 1,900 years later in Dr. Seuss in 1953 
writes a story about sneetches, some with stars on theirs and some with stars missing. And as the story goes, they keep wanting to have the status of being different than and better than the others. And there's this strange little character, Sylvester McMonkey McBean, who comes along. And Sylvester McMonkey McBean exploits the idea of status and privilege, of all of that, by getting them to pay to have stars on and stars off and stars on and stars off, and finally goes away with all their money. But the fascinating thing is, is because of what he did, at the end of the story, the Sneetches realize that they're all Sneetches. Didn't matter if they had stars on bars or did not have stars on bars. They're all Sneetches. We live in a world that wants to tell us the story that race, nationality, class, status separate us and to us and them, to those with stars on bars and those without. And today we find that when we come to the scriptures and even when we go to Dr. Seuss, that there's a different story that we as people of faith tell. That all of us, no matter where we're born, no matter what race or nationality, every single human being is created in the image of of God. That story is 2,700 years old, but it is as powerful today as it was when it was told those many years. That each of us has been given a particular gift. That we're not some amorphous blob, but that each of us is unique. But our gifts are to be used in the building up of the body of Christ, in the building up of Christ's work in the world. And that in the end, we're all people. Just like the Sneetches came to realize that they were all Sneetches. We are all people created in the image of God to be God's servants as part of the body of Christ in the world. So Paul was writing, just as that writer in Genesis and perhaps even Dr. Seuss, to a people who needed that reminder. You see, the Corinthians really, as I said earlier, they exalted in being the best. And so they wanted to have the best spiritual gift. And they wanted to compare their spiritual gifts. Like, my gift is better than your gift. It's better if I go work at Mayport Market than if you serve in Beam. It's better if I do this. The preacher's the best of all. And comparing gifts... And Paul said, remember, all created equal. Each of us has unique gifts. We're all people of God. But at the end, he says, there is one gift. There is one gift that I invite you all to excel in. And that's chapter 13. And it goes something like this. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, 
I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all God's mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, you created all of us in your image, equal, unique, and loved. It is your will that we be gathered together as one family. Until that time comes, we pray for those who have less than we do, for those whose homes have been destroyed by fires or other natural disasters, for those who cannot afford homes or food, We pray for those who face fear and despair each day due to war and violence. We pray for those who are silenced and for those who think their voices are more important than others. Lord, fill our hearts with your love, with the desire to ensure justice for all, and the courage to take action when needed. May there be an end to division, strife, and war across the world. And may all of your children thrive knowing love and peace. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Paul goes on to say this to that church in Corinth. We don't see all things clearly yet. We're peering through a mist, looking through the fog. But one day that fog will clear. It will be lifted up and we'll see it all clearly. See it as clearly as God sees us. But until that day, there are three things for us to do. Trust steadily, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. And the greatest of those three is love. So friends, go out and help the mist to clear by showing the world of God's love that loves us all because we are all created in God's image. And go trusting that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of God's Holy Spirit will be with you and those whom you love, in fact, is with all of creation today, this week, and forevermore. And all God's people say, Amen.